welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. I'm going to invite my friend Art to come on up. He's going to offer a call to worship this morning. Uh, we're going to spend some time with Mary uh, in our series today. So, uh, welcome. We're glad you're here. Hey, kids. It's Mr. Art. In a little bit, I'm going to be reading a kid's version of a poem, a famous poem by Mary when she was pregnant with uh, baby Jesus. Uh, it's from Luke one, chapter 1. And in fact, we, we talked about that poem last year. It was the... It's the Sunday after Thanksgiving, so just a year ago. We wondered, how did Mary feel about having baby Jesus? Did she feel happy, nervous, thankful, overwhelmed, amazed, maybe sometimes a little bit alone? So here's the, uh, the poem that we read as a, as a kids' community class. How Do You Think of Me is the title from Luke 1. I'm dancing joyfully. We're making history. How do you think of me? Born in poverty, we live so simply. How do you think of me? Our God is holy. Our God is mighty. How do you think of me? God sees the needy. God sees the lowly. How do you think of me? But to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly. How do you think of me? All right, all right, all right. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to make your way back to your seats, that would be great. So glad that you are here this morning. Uh, the kids, if you didn't notice, it's Pajama Sunday for the kids. Some of the kids asked me why Pastor Micah wasn't in pajamas, and I guess I wasn't invited to be in pajamas. Um, so maybe next year we'll do pajamas. We used to do an ugly sweater Sunday um, long ago. We were reminiscing about um, one of my favorite awakened moments. Some of you may have been here for this. I don't know if you guys were here for this one. Um, ben Rosenbush, who was our first worship leader, he's sitting, it was a, there was a balcony at the joke joint, right? So people were getting ready to start. Ben's up there in the balcony, and he's like, all right, it's Ugly Sweater Sunday. You guys are looking fugly. And he did not know what those two words put together were. He thought it was fun and ugly. And so by the look on everyone's faces, he knew that he had done something terribly wrong. Because everyone was like... And then he totally panicked. And he goes, uh, let's go with God together. <laughs> oh, gosh, that is so great. What's the worst thing that happens to an entertainer or someone who speaks and communicates up front? Either you freeze or you just say something terribly inawkward, awkward and inappropriate, right? And don't even know it. So that was fun. Glad we could have that moment of memory. Welcome to you. Um, if you're new to Awaken, my name's Micah. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you're with us. There are some uh, cards in the seat pockets or the pews in front of you, or you can go onto our website, awakenwest7th.com. Fill out that card. Somebody from our team will invite you to a beverage of your choice. We'll get to know you. You can get to know us. 
Um, if you are here and have tithes and offerings, we're grateful for those gifts. There's a number of ways you can give to Awaken, but there are black boxes at each of the exits. The cards can go in, tithes and offerings can go in there. A couple things we want to let you know about that are happening today after this gathering at A-Side, which is the restaurant behind the church here. Uh, queer Community Lunch is hosted by Josh and Cass, so if you're interested in that, join them there uh, at noon right after church. Um, next Sunday is the official of, uh, beginning of Advent, December the 3rd, and so we will have our, uh, our official Advent welcome, our welcoming of the Advent season, so that's uh, Sunday night next week, starting at 5 o'clock, 5 o'clock, yes, there we are, I'm like, is that right, 5 o'clock, uh, there will be merriment, there will be uh, Swedish meatballs and mashed potatoes and lingonberry sauce all in a solo cup that you'll get to carry around the church and eat anywhere you like. It's going to be a great party, uh, fit, fit with a, a red solo cup uh, even. <laughs> to those of you who aren't too far away from college, uh, that is happening and there will be, um, uh, we'll have a little game of trivia if you can, bring some Christmas cookies to share. We'll do a little cookie exchange. It'll be lovely. So that's at 5 o'clock. Uh, in the spirit of that, there is a Christmas choir that's happening again this year on Christmas Eve. So if you're interested, you can sign up for that and talk to um, our good friends whose names are Hallie and Michelle. Gosh. Froze. Ah, I know it. It's in there. Find the file. Michelle and Hallie, and uh, that's Christmas Eve. Last but not least, next week, the winter market begins. So every year during uh, Advent, we have our artists and our makers bring their things and sell them here in the gallery. So there will be a, a list of, or uh, a number of them each week during Advent, um, and you can purchase things for your friends there. Instead of going to Target and supporting Target, which is fine, you can support people who go to church here and make things for a living. So that's great. Um, does that sound good? Great, awesome, wonderful. Um, in the gallery, uh, you may have noticed there are a number of prints back there. Those are not by anyone in our church. Our friend Vanessa has gathered those prints, and they are depictions of all of the passages that we're studying in the series that we are currently in, which is called The Journey Journeys Towards Christmas, or The Journeys of Christmas. And so we're looking at the people who are adjacent to and near and around the stories, uh, or the story of Christmas that we celebrate. And so a couple weeks ago, we looked at Zechariah, who uh, is the father of John the Baptist. He's visited by an angel. He's, uh, his voice is silenced for nine months while his wife Elizabeth gives birth to John. Last week, we looked at Joseph, who is, the, of course, the father, uh, adopted father of Jesus. And this week, we'll turn our attention to some of the ladies in the story, uh, probably the most important, uh, the most notable, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so um, we will attempt to try to enter a story that is so far away and yet is somewhat near uh, for some of us in the room. Um, and I want to begin with maybe it's a confession or at least just a statement that it's always weird preaching about Mary as a guy. You know what I mean? This is an experience I will never have, and yet I'd like to tell you about my thoughts on this matter, okay? <laughs> it's always a little awkward, you know? In best case scenario, my partner in crime, Jenna, could offer her thoughts, but unfortunately, she had a baby. <laughs> so she can't speak about Mary having a baby because she had her own. So uh, I called my friend Gail, who lives in Seattle. I was like, hey, do you want to come to Awaken and preach about Mary? And she's like, I wish I could, but I can't. So you're stuck with me today. I'm going to attempt to give my best, uh, my best effort to try to honor Mary. Uh, and again, an experience I've never had. Um, 
And fair warning to the listener this morning, um, we're delving into a topic, right, which is mildly controversial and kind of hard to believe at times, right, a virgin birth. Um, so we're talking about conception. We're talking about how does that happen? We're talking about Mary. We're talking about a number of things. And in an effort to not draw from, like, white European guys, I, I looked outside of that in terms of my books, and, and, and so I, I had some, some women who I was reading about this passage. I had some queer folks who I read, some African theologians, and tried to get a more robust sense of, like, who is this Mary character? Um, and you may hear some words that you don't normally hear in church, okay? Uh, it's not because they're dirty words. It's just that, you know, in terms of bodies, we don't do a very good job as Christians and evangelicals. Can I get an amen to that one? All right. Who actually had a purity ring that they wore in college? Anyone in the room? Okay. All right. So you know what I'm talking about. All right. Let's, no more caveats, Micah. Let's do this, okay? Rochelle, if you would, we're going to read from Luke chapter 1. If you, uh, I'd invite you to stand in body or in spirit for the reading of the word. Luke 1, 26 to 45. Here we go. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Would you pray with me? God, this morning, <clears throat> as we enter into yet another story and another journey, I pray that by your spirit, you would be present to us and with us, for us around us, among us, in us, and that you would tune our hearts to the sound of your voice, that you would invite us, move us, arrest us, shake us, uh, incite something in us that we might have the courage to take a step towards you. I pray in the strong name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit. The church said together, Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. 
So here's what I want to do today. Uh, I want to start, I want to attempt to give Mary her body back. I want to try to humanize Mary. And then I want to spend uh, the rest of our time in the, these words that Mary speaks, a statement and a question. So let's begin with uh, an attempt to give Mary her body back. What do I mean by that? Uh, the story, if you didn't know, if you're new to the Bible, uh, the story of the Bible and the world in which the Bible exists was a deeply patriarchal world. It was an ancient world, 2,000 plus years ago. The Christian story, as it developed over time throughout the world and then in America, has also been a deeply patriarchal world. The world that we still live in today, on many fronts, is a deeply patriarchal world. Can I get an amen from the women in the room? Right? Women are still paid less than men who are qualified similarly and educated similarly. Women athletes make less money than men do, which largely has to do with who views those events. That changes a little bit thanks to T-Swizzle, Miss Taylor Swift. And, uh, you know, the World Cup soccer game a couple of years ago, the Women's World Cup soccer game, was watched by, like, an alarming amount of people at, compared to previously, you know, the, the Williams sisters, right? People are changing that, and that's good. We celebrate that, but it's still uh, a reality today. While other countries in the world have elected a female to lead them, uh, the United States of America has yet to elect a female president. I wonder what the world would look like with more women leaders, how many less wars might be fought. I don't know. I have a sneaky suspicion about that. But uh, James Brown has to write a song, right? It's a man's world, right? And, and, you know, within Christianity, up until the last 50 years, uh, women have played a subordinate role to men in the church and still do in many churches today, right? That's just the reality on the ground. Uh, many women have, have, have been kept from preaching and teaching and leading despite their gifts and have lived their faith lives in the shadows of men. And I want to begin this morning by giving Mary her body back. She is, was, and is a woman, right, in all of her glory. And we shouldn't and can't forget that. Luke seems to go out of his way to give women a major role in the story of God. I don't know if you know this or not. Luke's gospel, uh, somebody asked me the other day, what's your favorite? It's between Luke and Mark. But one of the reasons I love Luke is because it's the gospel for the poor, according to many who read it, and for women. Uh, Luke is the only gospel to tell the story of Elizabeth, Mary, and Anna the prophetess, if you remember Simeon and Anna who were at the temple in chapter 2. Uh, Luke is the only gospel to have Elizabeth and Mary sandwiching Zechariah, and in doing so, plays the fool based on the response of Elizabeth and Mary. Zachariah is a little bit of a bumbling idiot at times, right? I think that's intentional. Uh, Luke is the only gospel to give, uh, or, or gives the most detail in the resurrection story. And if you remember, the first witnesses to the resurrection were women. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James. Luke's the only gospel to record the Magnificat. Can you imagine the scriptures if we didn't have the Magnificat? We have it because of Luke. This is a powerful, like, earth-shattering, world-upending poem written and recited by Mary. Padre Gotuma tells a story about a, 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 like a, an order of women, nuns, who would, who would recite the Magnificat every day, and they were told to stop. <laughs> we can't have too many women reciting the Magnificat, Right? 
You know, it's a little like Hunger Games. Hope, it's a spark, but if it gets out of control, we got a problem. you got to stamp that out. We have that because of Luke. One commentator, the African Bible commentary, reminds us the Magnificat is the great New Testament song of liberation, a revolutionary document of intense conflict and victory produced by a woman who proclaims the virtues and values of peace, justice, humanness, compassion, and the equality of humankind. It raises God's liberating actions on behalf of women and others who are exploited and whose rights are daily violated. Luke's gospel celebrates and elevates a woman as an important and significant role, and Mary is that woman, and we should not and cannot forget that. Amen? Within the church, there are teachings about Mary. And these teachings about Mary, I think, in some ways, have mythologized this person who becomes sort of other than that, right? Think about Mary and the virginity of Mary, this doctrine about Mary's virgin birth, the conception of Jesus, this miraculous virgin birth. Um, Did you know that there were other virgin births in the ancient world? Like many of them. And it was just a sign to say this person is special, right? It was a way of symbolizing like the, the special birth that's happening. Oh, they were born of a virgin. So Mary, according to doctrine, virgin birth, right? Not only that, but perpetual virginity. I don't know if you know this, but in parts of the church, there's a doctrine about Mary's perpetual virginity. Not only that she conceived Jesus as a virgin, but that she remained a virgin. She never had sex, which says something about sex and our bodies and what we believe about it as the church. There is a a, a doctrine of the immaculate conception, that Mary not only was a virgin, had conception, a perpetual virgin, but then was without sin, Original sin. And so Jesus' birth was this immaculate conception. There is a belief about the assumption of Mary, that she didn't experience decay in her body and death. And so you wrap all these up, you put them together, and what you get is a myth, a mythologized character, a figure that's hardly human, certainly not like sexual or female or a teenager or anything normal. One author, a woman named Marcella Althus Reed, explores this when she writes, The story of Jesus' conception has become the myth of a woman without a vagina. Mary is honored for her non-sexuality and her subordination to a male god. And that myth has been sacralized or sacralized. How do you say that? Tomato, tomato. (laughs) Sacralized into a theo-ideology, a theology and an idea that has harmed and oppressed women. Mary is not part of history since she's broken the historical nexus as non-menstruating, conceiving outside the realms of sexuality, and procreating by unnatural means, right? This is a woman who nobody can look up to or aspire to be like. And I want to give Mary her body back this morning. I want to begin and start with the story of of a woman in all of her female, like, feminine body that is to be celebrated honored, and cherished. And so maybe if nothing else, if you hear nothing this morning, I don't know what tradition you've come from, if you identify as female and are here this morning, but like just take a beat for a moment and recognize where you are. This is a church. This is a religious space, a formerly Catholic religious space, now not. And 
From the front, I want you to hear the honor, the celebration, the sacredness of your body, of your human experience as a woman. And I think we, we strip that away from Mary when we, when we follow this path as far as it goes. And I want to sort of walk that back a little bit and, and attempt to give Mary her body back. I think that's really important. I think it's important about what we know of God and think of God and believe about God and what we know and think about and believe about ourselves. I also want to humanize Mary in the same way that we do, we sort of mythologize her. We, she, she, she seeks or she fails, uh, ceases to be human, right? And there's this passage, this little throwaway line in the passage that we read that I think really gets at this. It says, at that time... Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. In your mind, close your eyes if you would. I'm not going to like make you do anything crazy. Close your eyes and just imagine what emotion do you attribute to this passage, what you just heard, right? Mary. At the time, Mary got ready, hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Open your eyes. I'm curious how many of you, by show of hands, like attribute joy or excitement to that moment. A few more than first hour. Okay, great. I was curious if like lots of people weren't playing first hour or I don't know. When I read this passage, I think to myself like, oh, Mary, she's going to visit her Aunt Elizabeth, right? Such like, she's got this news from the angel. The Lord's highly favored. She's going to birth this child and she's excited. Um... I don't know if that's actually the case for Mary. <laughs> I mean, how excited would you be in your mind if you um, learned this news? Uh, let's just think about this, right? First, uh, Elizabeth didn't live down the street. Elizabeth, her aunt, like Mary to Zechariah, likely would have lived near Jerusalem. Nazareth is a long ways from Jerusalem. It's like 80 miles that Mary would have walked. I've never been pregnant before, but I did know a woman who only could eat Taco Bell her whole pregnancy. <laughs> I mean, it does crazy things. I've seen it with my own eyes. You know, an alien life form invades your body from what I gather. She would have walked 80 miles. Uh, second... Let's just remember, the Greek word that gets translated hurried in the NIV is this phrase or idiom, and it means with haste. And that would come with, like, has the overtones of alarm and anxiety and fear. I mean, if you were Mary, would you be a little, like, remember the world that she lives in, right? She is, she, for all intents and purposes, she is the sexual property of her father, and now her betrothed husband, to be husband, Joseph. She has no rights in the culture. The only protection she has is within the institution of marriage when she does it right, which is to not have sex before you're married and to be able to have children. That's, out of, that's blown out of the water, right? Like, maybe Mary was fleeing for her life. What was sure, according to the law, was divorce at best and death at worst for her. Have you ever considered that? That she like was running 80 miles to take refuge with her aunt who wouldn't leave her out? Have you ever considered that Mary thought about not coming back? 
I mean, I don't know. Again, I'm not a woman, but if I were in that scenario, like that would cross my mind. I'm not going back. No way, Jose. Maybe she was literally fleeing for her life. Maybe she thought she was going to be stoned. I don't know. But I want to just humanize Mary in this moment. Like, what an intense experience to have. How many of you have teenagers? Like, all scholars would say Mary was like 12 to 18. Jinkies. Let's give her her body back and humanize her. Which then makes what she says, the statement that she makes, and the question that she asks, all the more profound. You've heard me say this before. I will likely say it again. Krista Tippett says that questions beget answers of their kind. Which is to say... That when you ask a question, it births an answer in the same spirit. So if you ask a deeply profound question, it will likely lead you in a search for something that's deep and profound. So the question, right? Two people, Zachariah and Mary, they both are visited by an angel and they both ask a question. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but it's really clear when you start looking for it. Zachariah, angel Gabriel comes. He has this moment. He's a little afraid. The angel says, don't be afraid, Zachariah. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give birth to a son. You will call him John. He will be in the spirit of Elijah. He will make a way, prepare the way for the Lord, for the people to be ready for the Lord. And Zachariah's question is, how can I be sure of this? Anybody remember that? How can I be sure of this? How can I know this? Is what he says. Six months later, Mary visits, gets a visit from the same angel, Gabriel. What? Mary's a little afraid. She's uh, not sure about this apparition. And the angel says, do not be afraid, Mary. You will conceive, and you will give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. And he will be, uh, uh, like, sit on the throne of his father David, and he will reign forever. And Mary asks a question, and the question is, how will this be? Questions beget answers of their kind. All play. If you've never been here before, in all plays, when I ask a question, and you all give me your thoughts, because I'm not the only one who has thoughts today. So I'd love to hear some of yours. When you see these two questions, how can I be sure of this, and how will this be? What observations can you make about those two questions and the difference between them? Skepticism on the first, wonder or curiosity in the second. What else? Yeah. Yeah, there's a power dynamic there. There's something about the first question about the preservation of or self, right? Yes. What else? Yeah. So Zachariah's question, the consequence of which is he's mute. He's he's made to unable to speak for nine months. Mary, on the other hand seems to be barking up the right tree. Or at least she can talk during her pregnancy, according to the legend. Others. Say it again. Doubt versus acceptance. Doubt versus acceptance. 
Yeah. Whew, slow down. Zechariah, say it again. Zechariah shows an attempt at knowing, and Mary is, a, is a, a, like an attempt at being. I mean, I don't like stereotypes because there's always curve crashers, but this is kind of classic stereotypical male-female response, don't you think? Control, how do I fix it? How do I make sure? How do I secure it? How can I be sure of it? Which is kind of like, like give me a sign, Right? which didn't go well, and how will this be? So I think the questions that we ask really do matter. And so I want to just pause this morning as we think about Mary and her question and juxtapose it, hold it up against Zachariah's question. And I, and I would ask you this morning, like, what questions do you have of God? I don't know where you've walked in from. I don't know how you got here. I don't know what's informed that if it's been good, bad, or indifferent. But the questions that we ask beget answers of their kind, and I think in some ways we should be thoughtful about the questions that we ask, not only with one another, but maybe also with God. And so maybe it would be a good exercise for you this week to think about what questions do I have for God, and then to put them on a piece of paper and stand back from them for just a moment and see if you don't see anything about what does my question and the way in which it's actually asked say? What's the thing behind the thing, as they say? It's a good spiritual reflection. So the importance of a question. And finally, as we close, I want to I look at this, this phrase, this statement that Mary makes. You know, amidst all the fear, amidst the anxiety, amidst the wonder, amidst the excitement, I don't know, amidst all of it, Mary utters eight words that define her future and sort of set the trajectory of her life. In the King James, it says, be it unto me according to your word. Be it unto me according to your word. Mary Weens, my friend, who actually wrote the lyrics for the kids blessing that we sing every week so you know mary you just don't maybe don't know mary hallie's aunt haha <laughs> there you go uh mary spoke at awaken in 2013 and she spoke about mary and this passage and her version of this prayer i love this statement is be it unto me just as you say be it unto me just as you say which is a statement but i would argue it's a bit of a prayer as well because you can't say, be it unto me just as you say, without some, like, chutzpah, without some skin in the game, right? There's a word in Hebrew, uh, hineni, and it means, here I am. Moses says it to the burning bush. Uh, Joseph says it. Uh, Samuel says it when the Lord calls his name. It's all on and around the most important moments of Scripture. Here I am, hineni. This sort of full-throated, all imbo- like embodied, encompassed, declaration of one's presence. Be it unto me just as you say, I think is a, a, a moment like that. You have to mean it when you say it. And I wonder if you've ever had a moment where you said to God, be it unto me just as you say. Which is an act of desperate faith that trusts in something beyond yourself. 
I've had a few of these moments in my life, and they are before and after kinds of moments. I'll share one with you this morning as we close. It was 2013. I, was, I went to Israel. And prior to that, I, uh, uh, you could say there was like a, a, an undertone of anger in Micah as a pastor, as a person, as, and it fueled a lot of good things, right? Like, you know, if harnessed, anger can be a good thing. But I came to this point where my sort of underlying anger or frustration uh, sort of became very clear to me, in account, at least according to my therapist, it had a lot to do with my dad. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was down in Tennessee at this, like, leaders summit somebody had sent me on, and Jack was his name. What is it about movies and the main character named Jack? Think about them all. I mean, Jack, there are lots of them. I won't go into the details. Jack, the therapist, is sitting there, and he says to me, Micah, you could either be the immature young man or the mature man. The immature angry young man or the mature man, but you can't be both. You choose. So God's doing something in me. And I go to Israel, and this picture sort of sets up a, a, a few moments. Right before this one, the night before, I'm on the Sea of Galilee. My feet are, I'm in a lawn chair, <laughs> sitting in the Sea of Galilee with my feet there. We're drinking wine and, like, you know, walking on water, basically. Hey. And somebody, somehow, we get to, you know, we, this conversation comes up, and, and um, the conversation turns towards me, and somebody says to me, Micah, do you think that maybe God would ever want to be a father to you? To which I responded very unkindly with a four-letter word, like, you can go yourself. Because, you know, like, that's so easy to say, right? Like, to people, especially for folks who've had a good dad, you're like, oh, maybe God wants to be a father to you. You're like, that's fine, but I really, really would have liked one with skin on, you know what I mean? Who was, like, there when I needed him. And so I am like wrestling this to the ground. I am trying to get to the bottom of this. And I just keep sensing this invitation from the Spirit like it does. Drives me crazy sometimes. Just like, you know. (laughs) And so I'm writing in my journal that night. And I, I wrote like, fine. I give up. If you want to be a father to me, God, I'm open. And I took that piece of paper out of my journal and I wadded it up at the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall. You guys have seen pictures of this, you know, where people stuff their prayers in there. There was like some massive celebration. So there were like horns and shofars and it was crazy town. So we made our way around to the other side. And I figured it's the same wall, so I could probably still do the same thing. It's going to mean the same thing, right? And so I shoved that prayer in the wall. And as I walked away, I sensed God say, kneel. The word kneel, or the word baruch in Hebrew means to bless. It also means to kneel. So to receive a blessing, you kneel. And I heard God say, kneel. And I was like, come on. People are watching me. I am a Scandinavian. I don't like attention sometimes. My wife would be like, bull. I'm calling you on that one. And I was like, no, I don't want to kneel. It'll it'll be weird. And I just kept hearing, kneel, kneel. And I was just like, fine. So I went back and I knelt. And those steps are the same steps, like 
you could tell the ones that had been like replaced or repaired, that one was, that had been there. And when Jesus and his disciples would have come to the temple, they would have come from the south and they would have walked up those stairs to get into that temple. And then I sat next to that rabbi and he leans over and he whispers in my ear, I believe in you, Micah. I'm so proud of you. Things that I desperately wanted to hear from my dad. Be it unto me just as you say. I surrender. Is Mary's moment, as she's wrestling with all the things about what this means and what the implications are and all of it, be it unto me just as you say. I surrender. And for me, my life has never been the same. Like before and after. And I can only testify to my experience and tell the stories of those that are in the scriptures, but I guess, I'm guessing there would be more in this room. And so this morning, I offer that to you. I don't know where you are, what you're wrestling with, but could I invite you to consider holding your hands open and uttering the words of Mary, be it unto me just as you say. Hineni, I surrender. And I'm not telling you that your life is going to be like all better and you're going to win the lottery tomorrow and it's going to be up and to the right because that's not what the story tells us, right? But I will say that I have found a deep joy and a sense of love and belonging that I have that I've wanted for a very long time in a way that I didn't think I could experience. And so I offer it to you this morning, again, only as my experience, but maybe as wisdom. So let me offer a word of prayer in just a moment. We're going to invite kids, and they're going to receive a blessing, and we're going to gather around this table, which reminds us of the body and the blood of Christ. So pray with me if you would. God, this morning as we take a moment to be still and quiet, and hear the voice of the Spirit, would you speak a word that we need to hear, I pray. My friends gathered this morning, that song um, holds a special place in the life of our church. If you've ever been here on Christmas Eve, we often do it as a sending song. It feels like it expresses a desire, a hope, a prayer that we have for you, that wherever you've come from, that you would find a light. Uh, our belief is that that light is in the person of and the story of the Christ. And we offer it to you as a way of living and being human in the world. So may you find that light. And may you leave with this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, Amen. Grace and peace, my friends. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.